Hey, and welcome to Alex Listens. My name's Alex, and this is the place where I talk about things like politics and philosophy and identity and race and what they mean for us. Um, Briefly, before I tell you about today's episode, um, I have a website. And the reason why I'm telling you that I have a website is because maybe you don't know what I look like, um, and maybe you don't care. But if you do want to um, learn more about me... um, for example, who I am, (laughs) Um, I have some information on my website about that. So you should go and have a look, www.alex.co. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of ways in which you can support it. Um, Thank you to all the people who have become patrons over the past while. Um, So yeah, you can become a patron. You can support it on Patreon. It's a great platform, very easy to use. You just click a button or something like that. Um, there'll be a link in my bio. Um, yeah. Or, you know, just tell a friend or something like that. If you're enjoying it, tell a friend or reach out to me and let me know what you think. Um, okay. So today I spoke with Greg Restall and Greg is a professor of philosophy and logic at my university, the university of Melbourne. And Greg is a, an incredibly gifted orator. Um, and I actually noticed some similarity in the ways uh, in which, <laughs> Greg, if you're listening, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm anywhere near your, um, your level of intellectual prowess, but I noticed some similarity in the ways that we kind of move through ideas by kind of grasping at tangents um, or going down tangents and grasping at things on the periphery of of ideas and then trying to, you know, and then realizing that, um, well, this, in my case, you know, I realized that I've kind of been talking about something that isn't immediately relevant and then going on some strange adventure of trying to make it sound more relevant. So, um, I felt like there was a lot of that in me talking. Um, and yeah, I, I guess this, this is one of the more, um, one of the more complex and one of the more sophisticated and, detailed uh interviews i've done um but you know it is it is entirely accessible for anyone um especially those of you who are interested in philosophical logic um even even though like you know logic in the boring sense wasn't um anything that we really spoke about um but yeah we spoke about uh the ways in which logic features in everyday life what it means to you know try and behave in a way that is in accordance with you know a sound logical reasonable rational argumentative structure um we spoke about uh some concerns for uh, our species um you know the kind of diminishing and slowly deteriorating uh focus on self-expression and on engaging in you know public conversation about things which matter and i guess in my lifetime um you know social media has been the primary platform for that but for anyone who's used social media you'll be aware that um it's quite a strange place to engage in dialogue um or conversation um Anyway, without any further ado, um, here is my conversation with Greg. Um, Enjoy. Bye.
Okay, so, hey, Greg, how are you? I'm doing fine. Hey, well, I'm glad to hear. Um, and, yeah, I guess, um, I... So, yeah, I think I told you, I'm, I'm a philosophy student. So, um, I am... Yeah, I, I've tried. I've tried to kind of jump between... Dabble in every field possible. Um, oh, well, you know, every field that Melbourne Uni offers. But um, one thing that I haven't touched and that I haven't even come close to is um, your area of expertise, um, logic um, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I guess, well, firstly, for those of you, for those, for the listeners who don't actually know who you are, um, what, how do you, how do you introduce yourself? Um, if somebody you know, ask me what I do or who I am. I say, my name's Greg, uh, Greg Restall. I have been teaching at the University of Melbourne for hmm, about 16 years now. So I teach philosophy. I describe myself as a philosophy teacher. Uh, and if somebody asks what kind of philosophy that I do, I do tell them uh, logic is the area of um, speciality. And that's my area of research. And I've been you know, fortunate or unfortunate for my teaching to mostly specialize in that area as well. So I uh, have been, you know, teaching philosophy for um, over 20 years now. Uh, And yeah, so, so I've been doing this for quite a while. Okay. Um, Yeah. And one thing that I've actually spoken about a lot on the podcast Mm. is um, people's tendency, including my own to define themselves very clearly or to, uh, to align their identity very clearly with their like main um, productive output. Um, and uh, do you actually feel that way? Like, do you? It, half and half. Okay. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting because being uh, an academic or a professor is in one sense a profession. Hmm. I mean, it's sort of there in the there in the name, uh, but it's uh, and and so it is like being a doctor or like being a, a nurse or like being a lawyer. It's one of these things where it is really easy to identify uh, with that. But it's been it's been interesting for me because as a logician, as somebody uh, who sort of works in the area of logic, it's. Uh, wherever we are in the academy is we're always sort of a, a, a boundary figure or a more marginal figure. Uh, I mean, logic has, you know, been a part of philosophy forever uh, for as long as, you know, philosophy has been part of the Western tradition. And also if you find it in, you know, various Eastern traditions, you'll find logicians in sort of Indian and Chinese and Japanese philosophy as well. Um, but uh, if you look at the way that, you know, most people cruising through philosophy, well, what are the important areas? They're things like, you know, metaphysics or ethics or epistemology or mm. political philosophy or whatever. And a lot of people think of logic as something which is sort of, yeah, sort of important to the field maybe, but, but kind of something which is a little bit out there on the side or as a tool. Mm. Uh, that you should use. And so part of me, uh, I, you know, identify, you know, with the philosophers when I'm among the philosophers, mm. yet when I'm at logic conferences, I identify with the logicians. Mm. And then I actually got into this field um, from 
you know, trying to think while I was a university student of what it was that I believed and how I, because um, I actually started out studying mathematics at mm. university, but I was, you know, involved in sort of student religious Christian things. And I was at this time of trying to figure out, oh, what is it that I believe about things? Um, what, what makes sense? What doesn't? And I'd find myself you know, back in the library, back in days when you could get into a library <laughs> and flick through the actual physical books. Uh, back when libraries had lots of physical books. I think they still do. Haven't been in one for a while. Oh, who knows, Greg? Uh, uh, who knows? Who knows what they're doing with them right now? But um, the things that I really loved reading turned out to be by philosophers. Right. And, and I came into philosophy through that side. And so it was not my first sort of place academically in the university. Mm. And so I have sort of fondness for people that come into the area from the side that have got some other sort of area of interest or expertise and then they stumble into philosophy mm. uh, because that's how I did it. Mm, yeah, right. Um, yeah, and I guess, I mean, I came from a different background mm. to you. Um, I haven't, I haven't, I mean, I did, I did maths uh, up to a relatively mm. uh, high level in high school but haven't touched it since. Um, yeah. And actually started studying uh i did like half of a law degree um mm. uh, and it was a double degree law and biomedicine and that was um wow. two things that i wasn't remotely interested in um, <laughs> and, bad choice then yeah no it actually was a really bad choice but yeah the thing you said about um kind of mm. coming to philosophy from its yeah. periphery or coming from the side <laughs> or something yeah it's yeah, I mean, that's something that I love about philosophy, that it is, uh, it, it is open to, at least when done well, I think, uh, you know, the, the best of philosophy is a place where you can get all of these sorts of conversations from people with people who are sort of motivated by very many different sorts of concerns mm. uh, and who come in with other areas of, you know, expertise or application or so you get, you know, philosophy of art, you get philosophy of, you know, some particular, you know, issue in, you know, politics or now in terms of, you know, the politics and the economics and the, the thought around climate change or mm. whatever. There's so many different connections, uh, which is, makes it a wonderful place to be and, you know, nice to have, you know, colleagues and students that are interested in so many different things and, and to be in a place where, you know, even crazy misfits like me, that came in thinking about, you know, mathematics and logic and things like that can, can be a part of it too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I totally uh, empathize with the experience of feeling like um, an outsider and then yeah. finding one yeah. or finding some kind of, when you, when you find, when you find you, you, that you're inside among all of them, you realize that we're all outsiders. In some way <laughs> or another. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course there are some outsiders that have got more power uh, yeah. than others and you know, that sort of thing too. Yeah. Um, right. Um, okay. So I guess, yeah, one, so yeah, I was hoping like, because I, I don't even know where to begin with logic mm. and I'm not sure how, like, how worth, how like economic it will be, um, sure. in terms of your time to ask, like, you, you know, to give a crash course or something, because I presume <laughs> you're doing courses on Coursera or, you know, through yeah. Melbourne uni or something. So like maybe to begin, um, how, like for people who haven't had any yeah. 
yeah. any touch with with logic where like why why should people care yeah. about it yeah 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 it's a really good question um why should people care i'm going to assume that the kind of people that are listening here uh are the kind of people that are like you or like me that are interested in philosophy yeah and um so let's let's assume that we've got some kind of interest in philosophy because there's logic like philosophy is um you know connected to a bunch of different things and you could get into it for the you know the mathematics or the connections to computer science or whatever but we'll put those things to the side Hmm. um for me um as somebody that really interested in philosophy uh the aspect of what makes logic a distinctive thing which has got its its role in there is that we love in philosophy we love thinking not only about whatever the topic is that we're thinking about, we also love thinking about the thinking about it. Mm. You know, we, we are really good, I think, when we do it well. Uh, we don't just think about, you know, ethics, but we, you know, good thinking about ethics sorts of recognizes that there's different ethical perspectives and that yep. there's different ethical positions and you begin to realize oh that's what it is to think about something from a you know consequentialist way of thinking about things or from a sort of a virtue focused way of thinking about things and just noticing that and noticing oh gosh these are different <laughs> and they're different ways of understanding something uh that's that's something which is you know importantly philosophical especially when you not only recognize that but then get them to talk to each other and argue and uh, then say, well, what, 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 what's a reason for or against each of these different sorts of positions? Hmm. And, and logic is, I mean, some people, I think, you know, when it's done badly, uh, um, sort of treat logic as, okay, it's just the rules for the game for hmm. making sure that we're doing that well. Uh, hmm. and, and so often you might get to, you know, do a baby logic subject as you go into philosophy and think, okay, we're going to tell you, you know, here's five master ways of winning every argument or five ways to show how, you know, these things are crap or whatever. It's, it's, uh, that's not why I get into logic. It's not, it's not kind of a tool for winning arguments, but it's actually a different kind of mode of uh, reflecting on thinking. Hmm. And reflecting on how ideas might uh, hang together. Uh, what is it for things to be inconsistent with each other? Uh, what are the kinds of things which are the kind of sort of structural features of our thinking? Are there some things which are just uh, the idea of, uh, you know, logicians are interested in things like the idea of negation, where, uh, you know, you say something and I say that that's not right. Um, what are the kinds of things that we're doing when we are disagreeing with each other? Uh, what are the kind of structures of the ideas and the, the things that we can represent in language where we find, you know, logicians back to Aristotle to take the Western tradition, kind of noticed that there were certain kinds of patterns in reasoning, which, yeah, you can, to, to notice them, there's a certain amount of learning skills in just getting good at that and get good at the particular kinds of patterns, like, you know, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, so Socrates is mortal. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's and, and that's good to kind of notice that. That's about a skill roughly on the same sort of level as counting and adding and that sort of thing. And yeah, good, good to do that. But there's 
more importantly for me, quite logician, is, you know, figuring out what we're doing when we're doing that. Mm. Uh, you know, what is the, you know, to use a sort of Husserlian sort of vocabulary, what's the, the kind of ground of that kind of judgment? Uh, what is it that we are doing when we are attempting to prove something or what is it that we are doing when we are attempting to give a counterexample to an argument and uh so just like in other areas of philosophy when various sorts of patterns of thinking or explanation come to be sort of thought about and for, uh, formalized and Get, get developed into different sorts of schools or theories or whatever. You know, in the development of logic, various tools and techniques and ways of explaining things have sort of been developed and grown where what I do when I teach my students logic, especially at the second and third year level, we are looking at some of the fundamental building blocks of those, those ways of thinking and how they kind of hang together and look at the very idea of uh, one, one positive way of thinking about logic is that we are looking at connections between concepts mm. and breaking them down in a very down to their fundamental bits in such a way that we can see how they can be linked together to get right. from one thing to another. And that's mm. what you might be thinking of doing when you're sort of proving things or doing mm. a kind of, you know, analysis like this this is actually where analytic philosophy you know began uh in the connections between um, ways of understanding analysis and things at the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century but there's also uh, another kind of mode of you know doing logic which is rather thinking of understanding the space of possibilities and building counterexamples to things mm. so instead of trying to link things together and show how, you know, this thought will inexorably lead to that one as an inevitable consequence, then there's the idea instead of, you know, dividing things and saying, oh, here's some way that this could be true hmm. without that following. And, hmm. and, and, and there's great traditions now in logic of uh, ways of systematizing and understanding those modes of thinking Hmm. which has now become branches of logic that we call, you know, proof theory and model theory, which are, you know, developing ways of proving things or ways of interpreting and finding counterexamples or enlarging our space of possibilities where I try and, you know, teach people both the highlights of what logicians have been doing with that for the last 100, 150 years, but also then do some sort of philosophical reflection on it. Right. So that's the, that's the you know, couple of kilometres up in the air global picture of, of what it is that we do. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think, I think in my mind I had, I had some, I had some, like when, when I thought of, Okay, so but based on what you've said, it sounds like there are. This is an awfully crude, mm. crude simplification of what you said, but it sounds no, like no there problem. are two ways of thinking about logic. There is, yeah. and and I think this actually. I listened to an interview that you did on the ABC. Um, I think in mm. late twenty eighteen, wow, a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it sounded like there there are two. Yeah, there was something that you were saying that I'm not. 
Yeah. So I guess the the claim, it sounded like the claim you were making was that there are two ways you can think about logic. You can think Mm -hmm. about trying to prove something Mm -hmm. like one plus one equals two. And then yep. going to, you sure. know, the first principles, yep. what does it mean yep. to be a number, blah, blah, blah. Yep, all of that and, stuff. Yep. And then you, have, then you have like the meta question of logic, which is what does it mean, or what does it mean for us to actually ask this question and why, wh- why, is, why are we asking this question at all? Um, yeah. And I, th- I guess my, the thing that interests me a lot about logic mm. um, is that second step. Um, the 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 question of why like why so like i guess you know if you 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 mentioned husserl you know and and like i guess yeah like how how does how does because yeah i guess it something you said was that was really interesting was um like you know some there are lots of and especially on youtube like with this whole new the new atheist movement there's a lot of people seem to really care about um who really care about like, you know, dismantling arguments into these and, and, and taking this really combative approach yeah, to, yeah. you know, I guess philosophy and argument structure. And I feel like that is a really base and, yeah. and primitive way yeah. of thinking about what sure. logic, um, what yeah. logic does. So yeah. Um, I guess to turn that into <laughs> something that you can actually deal with. Um, yeah. One thing that I, I have, one thing that I've thought about a lot um, in my, I guess, uh, post-pubescent life has been, what does it take in order to have a conversation with someone yeah, such good, that good. you can actually direct the conversation somewhere? Um, yeah. And I guess it's, from what you've said, it sounds like logic can give us some insight into the structure of you know, thoughts or the structure of ideas. Yeah, maybe. Um, but then how... Like, how mm. I guess, how do you actually draw any, mm. uh, con- how, do you, how do you allow thi- like thing, kind of a, a, proofs of things to actually influence your life? Mm. Um, yeah. Like- yeah, good question. Yeah, these are really, these are really good questions. And uh, I, I, I think there are connections. And I think the connections, like you, I find the, you know, lots of ways to destroy them with facts and logic uh, kind of YouTube crowd um, to be, you know, uh, crude and base and, and frankly, they don't know a hell of a lot of logic um, because, you know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 an, it's another thing entirely. But what is, how is this connected? Uh, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting because uh, when we do, you know, my, my colleague Sean and I have been sort of reshaping the second level, uh, you know, logic subject uh, to introduce a new, a new subject that we've called sort of logical methods, which is all designed to be, you know, of, you know, making clear some of these connections that you're asking. And we do start actually with doing stuff about proofs. And it's soon realized that, uh, the students soon realize after we do this that what we're really doing is it's never, oh, I'm doing this in order to, you know, securely establish this conclusion in such a way that it would not be questioned ever again. Hmm. But rather what we're trying to do, is, one way to think about some of the point 
because yeah, it is an alien activity. There is no doubt about this. It is um, getting people to think in this sort of way is asking for them a kind of uh, precision or formality or frankly being anally retentive <laughs> that, uh, that, that is unnatural except for a very particular kind of personality. And, and I sort of emphasize that. But the point of this is because sometimes it's really important actually to understand what it is that we say, we've said mm. or to understand what it is that the discussion is about. You know that kind of moment of insight that you might get at a point when you're having this irresolvable argument with somebody and you eventually make clear that there was something that was ambiguous mm. where they were saying they were meaning this and you were meaning that and you were using the same words and you, oh, that's, oh, now I realise we're not actually disagreeing. Uh, and so this is the kind of thing where sometimes slowing down your thinking down to, you know, a really uncomfortable level and getting when you're somebody is presenting an argument saying, right, okay, which are actually the premises that are being used to justify this mm. step and which mm. are, and just laying it all out. It's that kind of slow reading uh, that, you know, we learn, we have to learn when we learn philosophy, especially when we're reading some, you know, seemingly alien text and we don't really understand what's going on. We need to slow down and pay attention to the moves and everything. Uh, when we get the students to do this, and we get, you know, some arguments from philosophers and we say, right, let's just map this out so that you can say, uh, okay, what's actually the conclusion that the person is arguing for here and how were the premises put together? Just to do this, you know, how were they put together to get to the conclusion? You know, is this step that they were using there just a way from getting from that first premise to that ultimate conclusion? Mm. Or was it also doing something over there? And and, 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 and actually sort of clarifying this helped students realize that actually we were reading this in different ways. And mm. well, maybe we don't know, maybe we don't know what the original philosopher was actually arguing. Maybe they didn't have it clear in their mind either what it was, but, but sometimes it's an exercise in clarity, not because clarity is a be all and an end all for its own sake. Gosh, that would be terrible. Um, if, you know, There'd be no impressionist paintings, for example. Mm. Uh, you know, if everything had to be clear, that would be that would be terrible. But sometimes it matters, mm. and it matters also sometimes to appreciate the ambiguity or the indeterminacy of things to recognise what determinacy might uh, to, to recognise the contrast with something that's that's determinate. And and so the point. For me, for the every philosopher, is that it's another kind of way of paying attention. Hmm. So to, to get back to, you know, an image that I was using before, philosophers, we do like not only to think about the thing, but thinking about the thinking about the thing. Yeah. Uh, it's one thing to be in the grip of a view, and it's another thing to say, oh, you know, which of the other things that I believe 
are actually count as reasons for that? And which of the other things that I believe are actually in tension with that? And, or another thing might be, well, I'm, I am in the grip of this view. I think it's actually correct. But imagine what the world would look like if I didn't think that was correct. Mm. And the idea of just recognizing that there are alternate views, mm. um, not, and maybe even these alternate views might even be consistent. That doesn't mean you have to think that they're correct. Um, but the, just the very idea, uh, you, you've, you've, if you've done some philosophy tutorials, you can kind of recognize this when there are some people where it takes them a while to get what the other view actually is that you're considering. <laughs> mm. And they don't even realize that there's a there there. And, and what we're doing sometimes when we are just, you know, doing even baby exercises in logic and we're saying, okay, we're considering these four different propositions. And so that means we've got, uh, two by two by two by two, we've got 16 different combinations, yes, no, for each of these propositions. And just that systematic going through and saying, okay, we've got these four different views, four different things that we're considering. Oh, that means that at least bearing on those, there are 18 different perspectives or 18 different, you know, ways that things could have gone with respect to those. It's, it's sort of a, a systematic way of opening up your thinking hmm. about something. And so that's the kind of thing that I sort of emphasize for my philosophy colleagues, that it is uh, training in particular kinds of habits of thought, yeah. uh, which enable us to view views and arguments and things with that kind of standoffish, uh, we're going to stand back and look at this and say, well, you know, can I look at this from a different angle? That mm. sort of thing, mm. as well as the committed, oh my God, I'm going to need to argue for this point. Yeah. 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 Okay. Right. I, um, and I, I got to be a bit preachy there. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. And uh, well, I mean, you're the expert, so that that's. Oh, that's I don't know about I, that. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm an academic. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, th I think one thing that I, I'm constantly looking for. Or, or, yeah, one thing that I'm constantly looking for or, or certain things that I'm constantly looking for are avenues through which I'm able to expand or enrich mm. my capacity to actually entertain the possibility mm. of other ways of thinking about yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, I guess from, like at the moment, one thing that I'm thinking, one thing that I'm kind of... Uh, my main focus, I guess, as I said before, I'm still yet to kind of touch on on logic. Although I guess I, I have indirectly by yeah, thinking about, yeah, you know, of course, um, how many, you know, what does it mean to hold a position? What does it mean yeah. to provide a reason? Yeah, you're already you're already you know doing a lot of things that are the kinds of things that we sort of systematically look at in you know other sorts of disciplinary ways. But it's mm. yeah. Yeah, you're already you're already going in that direction. Yeah, right. But I guess the thing that I still haven't been able to reconcile mm. is, or the the hurdle that I still haven't been able to get over is, what does it take to actually, what, 
so in another in another interview that you did or maybe it was a speech mm-hmm. that you gave sorry today i've kind of watched right. so much of your online content oh my that, goodness <laughs> yeah, sorry about that i'm your biggest fan greg um uh one thing that you were saying was that um it's so you were talking about the before as in in this conversation before you said that often it's difficult for us or often we will have a conversation with someone and we'll realize after you know a while yeah. of arguing that we're actually there is just a misunderstanding of something that's very yeah. simple so from that i guess we can it follows that there are a different number or an infinite number of ways of interpreting anything right so my concern mm, is that mm, mm. if if i am to appreciate and have respect for the number of ways in which an argument mm. can be structured and what is necessary mm. for an mm. argument to be structured mm. and i'm aware of the multitude of views that people mm. are entitled to have and that mm. people in fact mm. do have what i guess the thing that I, I don't even know if there's an answer to this but how how am i to approach any kind of conversation yeah. in yeah. such yeah. a way Good. that i either facilitate some cognitive mm. change in me or mm. i facilitate the, you know some kind of appreciation for a different way of thinking about the world in someone yeah, else's mind um, and I, yeah, good. good. I yeah, so this is, this is getting back to your, your you know, original motivating question, which I have sort of skirted around and haven't directly addressed. Uh, yeah, good, good. Because you're right to say that we should always be open to the idea of, oh, you know, you know pulling things apart and recognizing, oh, we're actually on different pages there. We should never kind of assume that we've, you know, got kind of total clarity, yeah. you know, on that. Yet, so this is getting back to the, the sort of dialogical thing. Uh, this is, and, and a lot of the, the, the way that, you know, some of my recent work in logic has been trying to articulate the connection uh, between, you know, the the, 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 the logician's concepts of, you know, negation and entailment and consistency and all of those sorts of things with the sort of pragmatic considerations of what it is that we are actually doing mm, mm, mm. when we are thinking or talking or whatever. Um, a lot of this comes down to, I, I think something could be said for, there's something about what it is that we are doing when we are, you know, asserting, when we are, you know, making claims, when I'm saying this is the way that it is. I mean, that can sound dogmatic, that can sound tentative, it could be any range of these sorts of things. When we're sort of putting something out there into the conversation like this, part of its job and part of its content is, is that's, by design or by its function, it's, it's there to be shared. Hmm. It's there. It stands for you in, in, I'm offering it. There is something for you as well as for me. And the, you know, the very idea of conversation as opposed to us just signaling our internal states to each other, 
which I think would just be a different thing. <laughs> if, if uh, you know, it's a different thing, me telling you that I'm angry than you just noticing that I'm, my cheeks are getting red mm. or something like this. Because, uh, you know, one of them is a kind of confession and uh, is a claim that's been made and that you could agree with or disagree with. You don't agree with somebody's cheeks being red. You just, uh, you know, read the landscape, as yep. it were, or read the weather. Yeah. Uh, and and so the the very uh, and and also the other thing when I'm expressing uh, when I'm making an assertion that's different from expressing a preference hmm. towards something. If I just tell you I like Homer Hudson chocolate rock ice cream, then uh, that tells you something. Hmm. But if you don't like Homer Hudson chocolate rock ice cream, then that's not a disagreement between us. Hmm. Whereas whereas if I tell you. Uh, that there's Homer Hudson chocolate rock ice cream in the fridge and you say, no, there isn't. I ate the last tub. Now we got a disagreement. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so the, the question that you have there about how is it that we can move each other or be open to being moved does get down to the heart of what I think you know, claiming and judging uh, and uh, all of that is actually fundamentally about. Mm. And, but, but the thing that I rest on is that perspectives which say that what it is that I'm saying is fundamentally down to what's in my own head mm. and uh, therefore that is always you know, possibly going to slip from whatever it is that's your idea of what's on in my head. Uh, things that are fundamentally individualistic like that, I don't, think, I don't think that's the helpful way to start. I think that conversation is essentially a social thing. Yeah. And I think that the concepts and everything that we have are shared because we, what makes things sort of linguistic and representational in that sort of way is that representations are things that are out there, you know, in the environment, they're words, they're, you know, symbols, they're all of this stuff that are cultural phenomena hmm. rather than just, you know, the artifacts of an individual yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. And they're cultural and shared and community-based so that we've got something that we can move each other with. Yeah, now, yeah, that, doesn't yeah. mean, that doesn't mean I have uh, the best idea for... Uh, figuring out when that movement is always going to happen and yeah, when yeah, we're going yeah. to, you know, nod. Mm. But uh, if we ever got to the idea that actually, no, nothing that you say could move me mm. or nothing that I say could inform you and change your view on something, then that's not only sad, but that's losing a capacity that we might otherwise have. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and so that's what, that's to me, what is scary and depressing and um, worrying about kind of, you know, the fake news, the, 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 the erosion of discourse is a horrible word, uh, but the erosion of public discussion in various ways under the new kinds of onslaughts of the, the new kind of possibilities of social media and, and all of that sort of stuff. When the discussion becomes something where actually all that's happening is I'm signaling my team affiliation by the words that I use, and that's all you read from whatever it is that I say, then 
then we've we've lost a kind of capacity, which isn't yeah. to say, oh my God, I want everybody to, you know, be you know, back there in their smoking jackets in the, you know, the colleges where all of the, you know, the men spoke to each other or anything like this. Uh, and, and we were all civilised because clearly that was also limited in its own sort of way. But there is something about being a part of a, a polity and being part of a community where we are taking ourselves to be uh, uh, able to inform each other and able to be informed by each other, as well as able to argue with each other and discuss. So, yeah, long-winded story. I think you've got put your finger on what I think is a really serious issue, which actually makes communication and makes, you know, our ability to have complicated ideas that we could argue about is actually down to this very thing that you're wondering about, which is, you know, how is it that I could be, you know, moved by another Mm. or how is it that I could be, how how is it that I could move another? Mm. If we put ourselves off the possibility of being moved by another um, and being informed and being uh, corrected and everything, then we're actually not making ourselves superior, but we're actually, you know, uh, cutting ourselves off from, uh, you know, capacities that we could otherwise yeah. have. Yeah, and I think I think you gave one of the most beautiful and crushing summaries of where we may be, or the direction that I guess mm. Western society may be heading in yeah. with regards to sure. the decline of um, the decline of how did you put it a a polity a communal yeah. public. Yeah forum for discussion where there aren't yeah, and- there, there aren't mistruths and there aren't people who um you know who, who you know i guess where virtue signaling isn't the only form of communication that exists because you're right there is when you don't i think so i'm not sure if there's something you wanted to say but um there there is i think i think the answer, I think you did answer my question. And I think that the answer to the question of how do you move someone or how do you allow yourself to be moved is by engaging that fundamentally human faculty of being able to contribute and consume and modify and ameliorate and develop ideas or anything through language and through communication. Um, Yeah, yeah, and it's it's sort of recognizing our sort of beholdenness to you know the community that we're in that yeah. we wouldn't have the kinds of capacities, uh, you know, I wouldn't have the kinds of capacities for thought and for everything without, uh, you know, having these you know provided for me and you know that that I was taught and sort of enculturated, yeah. and and therefore th- there is something to those sorts of connections and you know in a in a better world, we would be tending them better and we would be, you know, looking after them. But, I mean, in another sense, we are sort of struggling with, you know, the polity and the community uh, being sort of more global, that we, we've never had to deal with this before. We've never yeah. had to deal with the possibility of, you know, having, you know, real-time conversations with people on the other side of the world, let yeah. alone, you know, the other side of our city. Uh, so, so it's not surprising that we're finding difficulty with this. But, you know, it's something which requires work. Mm. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's one of the things that I love about teaching philosophy is that we get to kind of model that and we get to, uh, because, 
we get to engage in these sorts of discussions where when done well, we're having, you know, discussions where we're all learning about some things, about what are really difficult issues, which we each take to be important and where we have different views on them and where we don't expect them to be resolved. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the world needs more. You know, here I do really get preachy. You know, we need the capacity to be able to do that yeah. um, be, without going either to, oh, it's just all, um, you know, we're just all, you know, signalling our particular perspective on something mm. and it's, it, there's no fact of the matter and we don't really care and it doesn't really matter. It's just like, you know, fashion at one end or, you know, hitting each other with sticks at the yeah. other end uh, until we get agreement. Um, yeah, we need to be able to work together, but we also need to be able to work together among these sorts of, you know, disagreements with the thought that in the discussion, you know, there are things that can be learned and there's ways of constituting, you know, spaces for agreement and mm. spaces for development of new ideas and all mm. of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that this, this is a place that I have kind of, that I, I have ended up at this, this conclusion so many times in the podcast. And it's very mm -hmm. interesting because I've spoken to people from, yeah like every different field and it seems like the the when it comes to like i don't know whether I, i'm not sure what you know what drives you whether it's like you know mm. human freedom or or like you know some kind of uh ethical or moral um mm -hmm. position that you're uh that you hold or that you believe should be replicated but yeah i, I guess like i'm yeah, I I want like I mean like I I want to live in a world where um people are having conversations about about their world mm. and and mm. and are actively engaged. Mm. Um mm. and yeah, I mean how how that is going to be facilitated, I'm not sure, social media maybe maybe not. Um but one I'll tell you so one thing that is terrifying and i'm not sure if you've been following this is elon musk's Neuralink project mm -hmm. um do you know much about I, it? I i know a little bit about it not much yeah okay well i mean it's in its yeah. you know very the early idea of plugging stuff into people's brains yeah 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 plugging you know installing some kind of chip that you know, sends electrical impulses into the parts of the brain that generates some kind of sensory experience so i guess sure. in its most basic form it's going to be a medical product Mm -hmm. something that will do that will you know it's i guess he presents it through a utilitarian lens it will minimize or reduce a lot of suffering so for people mm -hmm. who suffer from seizures it can fire a counterpulse in real time mm -hmm. to to essentially remove the effects of the seizure right. but his goal and this is mm -hmm. probably one of the most terrifying things i've ever heard his goal is to move beyond the spoken language by mm. sending information in a similar way to the way it's sent over phones and when you mm. said before that you know if if you're able to communicate anger to me by mm. you know yeah. In, yeah. in the same way that yeah, i could right. read anger off your cheeks or something yeah. then yeah. we have yeah. lost we have lost yeah. everything we have lost yeah. your capacity yeah. to 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 actually explore 
what it means for you to be angry and to put that into the world and then to have it digested by you as it's being put into the world and then by me. And then, so yeah, I, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm not hopeful. (laughs) I'm not hopeful. Yeah. Uh, Look, I, 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 the things about, you know, artificial intelligence and especially sort of, you know, brain machine stuff, you know, always takes longer than the, the hyped people say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the it's fact so, that people are so working on these. Away, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, however, yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm certainly not going to be one of the, you know, first million to, you know, uh, get anything inserted into my brain. Uh, and you're right to, to, to have a real concern because, and, and to, to put your finger on this, uh, difference because it's 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 and it's interesting the way that it's very easy to um, motivate what's obviously a medical intervention you know on medical grounds mm. totally you know and that's sort of human freedom and um, flourishing enhancing for people to be able to you know twiddle some settings as it were uh, in order for people um, to stop having seizures great you know i'm all for that yet the idea is that you know something that might you know gosh god forbid require software updates and things like this plug into my brain uh, in order for you know ideas to be directly transferred as it were because those aren't ideas uh, that are being directly transferred in that kind of way that's somebody zapping me in various ways hmm. uh, in order to act on me uh, and that's very different hmm. uh, from uh, you know the way the other ways that we've communicated with each other. So yeah, I'd I'd be hoping that there'd be a lot more ethical work uh, done about what's going on uh, when you're doing this. And I mean, I mean, I wouldn't trust um, Musk's view about how you know communication or information is actually represented yeah. you know in brains and anything like that. I wouldn't you know trust him as far as I could throw him. But um, uh, I know and there are other people that are working on this yeah. and. Yeah, and this is something which is, um, let alone the kind of, you know, economic considerations and the, you know, class considerations and power and all of that sort of stuff, just the very idea of thinking that um, that this is going to be some way of getting off into some other kind of blissful, uh, disconnected or totally technologically mediated kind of future. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm not, not, not too... Not too keen on that happening. Mm. Uh, that's yeah, but for fortunately, sure. it seems like yeah. Fortunately, it seems like it's miles and miles away. Yeah. and and I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm convinced that. Um, well, I doubt, as you said, I, I think, I don't think Elon Musk has any idea about how uh, information and ideas are synthesized in the brain because. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm that, not, that, that's really hard work. There's a lot yeah, of you know, yeah. very, very difficult cognitive sciences yeah. involved in all of that stuff. And yeah, yeah. So, so, but the idea that, um, that this is somehow a purer or more um, uh, immediate way of you know, communicating or transferring information or anything else like this, that, that strikes me as, you know, a different kind of, you know, technological fetishism mm. uh, of that. Yeah. Um, but yes, of course, uh, you know, there, there might be wonderful sort of medical, you know, interventions mm. that are, that are kind of possible, but mm. yeah. yeah, there's but lots I, of other things for us to be going on with too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, like, 
I I think though I think I think Elon Musk isn't really doing anything that is outside of the ordinary in the yeah. tech world in in yeah. Silicon Valley at least it seems like in Silicon Valley the primary motivation is to make things faster and stronger yeah. and he talks about the brain in terms of its bandwidth, which is a very strange yeah, yeah. and it's a very yeah yeah. I mean, it's it's you know people you know back you know centuries ago we're thinking of it in sort of you know mechanical and hydraulic yeah. means, yeah, and then yeah. it was you know steam engine <laughs> means, and now it's you know it used to be you know transistors, and huh. now it's you know integrated circuits and things, and uh. who knows what the next metaphor is going to be? And, and they're metaphors, and they might be have a degree of use, but there's a whole lot more. Going going on in a brain than yeah some you know what some can be electrons thought of in terms firing of yeah electronic you know band neurons yeah. firing yeah um okay um i guess another another question i have for mm-hmm. you then is um what is it for you about okay I, I, actually before before i ask that question how much of your life how much are you consciously aware of the relationship between logic and and your experience of things like when i'm when i talk to you do you feel i mean this is uh, i'm not sure how much awareness you actually have of you know how information is being processed in your head whatever but you know when do you i guess this is another pragmatic question but you know do you feel like your communication or your you know political or religious engagement or mm. anything like that has been mm. um, guided by the things that you have learned about what it means for an argument to be an argument, what it means for things to be consistent, what it means to be hypocritical, what it means to negate yep, things. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. To, to a certain degree. I mean, certainly in one sense, and, and this is going sort of against type, uh, or at least against the caricature, it's certainly heightened my sense of, you know, the importance of applying a principle of charity, uh, recognizing that there's probably a there there, even when, you know, somebody is presenting something which, you know, initially my immediate reaction is, no, this is rubbish. Mm or something that there is a sense of, Oh no, let's, let's see whether we can make sense of that. Let's some um, see. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I can see uh, what might be being got at or what, where there might be something. And so this is, you know, the, the view of logic of, you know, understanding the space of possibilities and oh yeah, there might be something to that. Yeah. I don't, it's not actually a position I believe in and agree with right now, but Oh, I can see how that might seem. And I can see, I can see, what the world might be like from that point of view or how it might've been, had that been correct. So, so I have, especially since, you know, teaching a lot and, uh, you know, encountering lots of people with varying degrees of, you know, expertise and ability uh, and everything. It is, it is interesting moving from, because yeah, I wasn't, you know, arrogant teenager back when I was a teenager, I did think I knew it all. Uh, and you know, now that I'm, you know, in the second half of life, well, and truly, uh, it's, you know, and I've had a, a bit of time for these things to sink in. There is 
certainly more of that kind of principle of charity and uh, certainly more of the, oh, no, let's just it, it, sort of noticing patterns. Mm. And, and so you do, you do notice patterns and, and different sorts of moves that people make. And but then when, when you see people making various kinds of slips or where they're thinking that they've got a watertight case for something and it really isn't, then it's the, the reflex is more, oh, you might consider this mm. as well uh, as, a, as a kind of idea. Uh, but the other, um, the other thing that has been, you know, some of my recent work, I've been working with, you know, on a research project with, you know, a number of colleagues from Melbourne, uh, Lauren Francois Schroeter and Karen Jones. And our, Is this our the colleague, hierarchies? Uh, the, cons- uh, the Constructing Social Hierarchy Project with mm. Sally Haslanger at MIT. Um, I've been doing more work on kind of sort of socially engaged philosophy of language and connections between, you know, the pragmatics of conversation and logic and, and uh, the different kinds of moves that we can make and looking at that in the, the way that sometimes our, um, uh, you know, gendered concepts or concepts that are uh, connected with differentials of power uh, or race and things like this might be, you know, embedded quite, you know, deep in our cognitive and our sort of conversational or conceptual uh, architecture. So I've been doing a lot of sort of reading around, um, you know, norms of dialogue and uh, things like this. And and now I learn, uh, I pay so much more attention to these little, you know, individual shifts in language when people are just, you know, nodding and saying, aha, uh-huh, and things like this. And these little, little tiny coordinating moves that happen, you know, in conversation, which are in fact kind of a reminder of what we were talking about before, that, you know, part of the job of these things, part of the job of these you know, words and capacities that we've got is to, you know, so that we can get on the same page for something so that we can share information and, and even those, you know, nods and okays and ahas and, ah, and, and various sorts of little grunts that we make in conversation, even those sorts of things are are a kind of witness to the dynamics of uh, what it is that we're doing when we're, you know, pooling information and saying things that are out there for other people to build on and stuff. And I've been just for the last few years that I've been working on this project, I've been sort of noticing that a lot more in the, in the, in in the little texture of dialogue and things that we do when we're talking to each other. Oh, wow. Um, Right. Okay. And what is, what is the, yeah, I guess I, I mean, I, like I, I had a brief look at the, the, um, abstract for the research project um it sounds yeah, it sounds, yeah. It sounds really cool um sounds like the most ambitious project ever oh yeah um, yeah well i've been really, <laughs> grand grand applications in their abstracts are <laughs> designed to look very impressive it's because uh, we want we want you know the research council to give us lots of money so yeah you know, right so, right hopefully yeah. no more cuts but yeah we so. we think they're really important we're, we're thinking these uh, these are really important issues yeah. oh no and hey i i mean like these are the issues that this is these are the topics that I talk about um, on my podcast and in my life all the time. And these are, you know, uh, language and power and hierarchies and race and politics and 
what behavior is conducive to um, you know, liberating people and being yep. emancipatory and what language and what behavior is, you know, does the opposite. These are all questions that, um, you know, I think those of us who, who are in a position who are privileged enough to be able to study these things and in your case yep. be paid to research them. I mean, I know it's, um, yeah, yeah it's almost, yeah. Like I, I think it's it's the one of the priorities, or or one of maybe it's not even a priority. Maybe it's just one of the neglected, um, one of the neglected kind of uh, fundamental facets of what it means to be a good person. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like, do, um, do you? So okay, Peter Singer, another philosopher at Melbourne yep. University. Oh well, you know. I'm not sure how much he's actually involved anymore, but um, he's, 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 he's at Melbourne occasionally, uh, uh, whether we'll get him this year, I'm not sure because <laughs> of, you know, the travel restrictions and everything. Right. But yeah. No, he's been a long time, long time, uh, member and associate and, you know, fellow in the department as well as, you know, spending a lot of his time in Princeton. Yeah. Right. Um, he, I actually had the privilege of talking to him on this podcast two years ago. Um, yep, yep. and one thing that he made very clear was that, it is extremely important to, because, you know, he, he's involved in the effective altruism movement. Yep. His, poly, his ethics is practical ethics. It's about yep. translating yep. lessons Very that so. we can, translating things that we can think about into behavior. Um, and so I guess my question for you is, um, so I guess you are a public, you, you publicly mm-hmm. discuss your faith um, mm-hmm. and how this has uh, impacted your life and what it means for mm-hmm. you. Um, how much attention do you pay to the logical and rational? And um, yes, how much do you pay? How much attention do you pay to the structure of the things you mm. think about? And how much does that actually impact the the amount you allow yourself to engage with them? Yeah, I mean that's a really that's a really good question. Um, how much I don't know how to answer the question in terms yeah. of you know quantity, as it were. But sure, I, I I you know I think I think about things for a living, you know, and uh, you know I'm a religious believer and practitioner, and and so I can't help but think, you know, about these things. I don't do this, you know, in terms of my public area of research, partly mm-hmm. because you know my areas of you know research expertise have taken me elsewhere. I think I've published you know one paper in the philosophy of religion uh um uh with a you know a good colleague and friend of mine tim bain who's now at monash uh but yeah it is it is something that i uh, i do think about you know regularly as it were um and partly partly it it has been very uh, you know, my, my, my sort of philosophical orientation and my sort of religious and, you know, ethical um, orientations, uh, you know, affect each other in various sorts of ways. And, um, you know, for what, you know, I suppose one of the thinking, one of the thoughts has been, you know, lots of people use the word, you know, God in various ways uh, to, to do various things. And one of the things that's been sort of most distressing, um, especially for somebody that comes from a Christian background like I do, um, you know, in the last 15, 10, especially the last five years or so, but, but you know, it's been going along for quite a while, is seeing, um, you know, this kind of religious vocabulary 
to be used not you know as something which is designed to you know critique your own behavior or to be a you know a criterion under which you live or something like this but to be used as kind of a you know a sledgehammer or a a, a mascot to other other people that are outside the boundaries mm. and and so one of the things that that i cannot help but you know be struck by is uh you know in my own tradition when you get the you know the prophets and jesus you know saying things like it's you know don't reckon that you know your worship of god is going to be of you know any kind of use you know if you're ignoring your neighbor you know that sort of thing uh you know i see that under the guise of that kind of uh, you know, my tradition in philosophy of language and logic is what's called normative pragmatic. Uh, the normative pragmatic tradition is one which looks at things under the guise of, you know, rules or norms for use. So when I talk about, you know, concepts, I'm interested in not only, you know, the words that we're using, but what we're doing when we mm. are using those kinds of words. And I cannot help but see the kind of analogy there. I'm saying that, you know, part of the content of, you know, the God talk, you know, as it were, is inexorably connected with the kind of ethical and the political kinds of consequences uh, downstream. You, you know, you're just using the word God and using the word God to refer to something, you know, else and other if you're going to use it for, you know, selfishness or if you're going to use it for, you know, your own team. Now, of course, you know, I'm a very self-interested person as somebody who, you know, likes this sort of vocabulary and finds it useful and, mm. uh, you know, has made it a part of my life. And it's, it's, you know, I'm very open to somebody else saying, no, you're just using that as a kind of defense mechanism to distinguish yourself from those other bad people. Uh, but still, I can't help but, <laughs> but, but sort of notice that's there in the tradition. So, uh, it, but it's, it's interesting that more of my thinking goes in that direction than in the sort of more traditional direction of oh, spending all of my time thinking about you know five arguments for the existence of god or yeah. whatever other stuff other stuff like that which i think are important and i used to teach that you know at another university when you know i was able to fit some philosophy of religion in my teaching load uh but but when you think about you know, the way that you were raising the question about the connections and how under the guise of the sort of logician and the philosopher, you know, I think about those things. That's where my, that's where my thinking, I, I notice that that sort of tends to gravitate, especially in the current kind of social and political climates where, you know, it's those sorts of social and political uh, and ethical things, which I think are, you know, most pressing in the world in the, mm. you know, the current days and in the decades ahead, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, I think one thing that, because I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure what kind of religious mm -hmm. label I would give myself. I'm not yeah. a person of faith. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not an atheist in any um, new atheist, Sam Harris, yeah. Christopher Hitchens sense. Um, I'm not agnostic in I guess I'm I'm agnostic in the sense that um, I don't I don't firmly believe there is. I just yeah I I'm not 
I'd, it, it's, it's very different being there's a kind of agnostic who has a fixed concept of God yeah, and yeah, they're agnostic who, yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. very different from, hey, I, I don't know. That, 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 I agree. There's different kinds of you know, ways of using that vocabulary. Yeah, right. And this, this wasn't mean, meant to be some kind of segue to me talking about no. you know, what my religious sure. commitments are. But I, I think one thing that one thing that I feel has been lacking in my life has been stories or a sh- or a kind of codified history of mm. of morality of mm-hmm. of lessons of teaching that and that that it appears you have been able to have access yep. to through your faith um yep and and i think that is something i hope that is some i mean I hope that is something that I am able to, to get to. I hope that there, there is, yeah. and I, I don't, I mean, like, I guess I feel like I have a pretty cohesive ethical and moral framework that I develop and that, you know, I discuss in conversation with people. But yeah, I guess it, it seems yeah. at least yeah. there's never been one place where I've derived these things. It feels like I've just yeah. kind of yeah. wandered through the world. And then, because I asked you a question that was, you know, how much attention do you pay to the logical structure of the things that influence your morals and whatever? And you said, oh, you know, like, um, well, you know, I don't think about five reasons why God is omnibenevolent, omnipresent, whatever, yeah. omnipotent. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess I'm not sure if you feel as though, as though your faith has been a source of moral or a clear source of moral or ethical or, um, existential guidance because I don't feel like apart from, you know, my, my family or my socialization, which are obviously immense, there isn't something clear that I can point to and say, this is something that I have always been in contact with that has given me instructions. Yeah. yeah. And so this is something where no doubt I, you're in the majority, uh, especially in, um, you know, current, you know, early 21st century Western, you know, Australian society. Um, certainly those sorts of traditions, there's only very, you know, it's only in very small sorts of subcultures or, you know, crazy outliers and mm. things like this where, where there is that kind of continuity. Mm. And, and, and you're, I, th- I think you're right to put your finger on that as being something uh, which uh, a lot of people, whether explicitly or implicitly, you know, experience as a lack. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I'm married to a psychologist, uh, so you know, she'll have more, you know, opinions about, you know, what this means for the self, and uh, than, than, or at least more informed ones than I do. Uh, but I mean, I think you know, Western society looks to me to be in a significant point of flux and transition at the moment. And it would not surprise me if there's more of a shared story. Um, you know, if we get through the next century, you know, our kids, our kids as kids as kids, you know, my, chi- my, my child who's in the next, next room behind me, my 19-year-old son, you know, if he has kids and if they have kids and they, you know, survive whatever is coming, uh, you know, the coming, the coming climate emergency, uh, we're going to have to band together. Hmm. and find ways of living uh to get through this uh um uh that 
no doubt there will be some new kind of, hopefully, because I don't, I don't see a way of getting through this without some kind of uh, more coming together, uh, you know, on what has to be kind of ethical, uh, you know, social, you know, pro-social and ethical community grounds where the community is now the whole, you know, global polity. Yeah. And exactly how that will relate to, you know, the traditional world religions and exactly what that will mean, I don't know. But because um, I, th- I do think that the question of a kind of shared story, um, you know, some people found that in, you know, nation or empire. Uh, some people do find that in, you know, religion. Some people do, you know, just devote themselves to, you know, some kind of cultural pursuit or something else like that and have their whole identity um, sort of sunk in that. But, but, you know, I do think that the coming social changes, you know, if all goes well, um, you know, will force us, you know, to have a little bit more of a shared kind of narrative because, you know, reality will impinge on us, <laughs> you know, more on your generation than mine. It could be <sighs> that... Could be that you're going to have to deal with. I mean, I, I, I blame the generation above me, uh, you know, uh, more more than us lot. You know, us people that were born in the late '60s and early '70s. Uh, but but um, yeah, still, you know, it seems that you know reality is probably going to force force you to uh, you know uh, recognize that you can't live just off the old fumes of you know the baby boom sort yeah. of cultural you know, explosion, because, yeah. uh, you know, they, they're running dry and, uh, you know, we've... And they're going to check know, out before our... our yeah, they're going to check out before, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and we haven't left enough stuff for you to just have your, you know, they haven't left, you know, us and you especially enough stuff that you can just find consolation in more stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. but so, I mean... And yeah, good, I, I wish I could be more encouraging, but good luck with that. Oh, well, know? thanks, sorry. Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Alex. No, um, um, but, but you're right. I so, think- so, but but I'm trying to be. I'm actually trying to be more encouraging in one in one sense uh, that uh, you know we do. You know we are in this together, and um, I mean maybe maybe God vocabulary. I mean I don't do think. Yeah, there's enough. There's enough. You know believers in God, and uh, you know there's enough Christians around that you know the Christian story is probably not going to peter out, although it's probably going to get a you know a worse name in the future. You know with some of the current you know, incumbents and, you know, people that are using it. Uh, but, yeah, having a bit of a shared story and having a bit of a, a, a framework that we can, uh, you know, not only, you know, communicate ideas that are, you know, beyond just, you know, very elementary fact reporting on the one hand or just the very immediate, you know, what's to be done about this uh, to, you know, express ideas at other levels. Uh, yeah, a bit more shared vocabulary would be good. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think one thing, one thing that has, one thing that will unite us all, I hope, is this pandemic. Um, and it's a very strange well, it's thing. it's done something. Yeah, it yeah, has. It is. It has. And I think, I think, I think people will be hard pressed to walk away from this pandemic feeling comfortable with at least in Australia, the way things have been structured yeah. until yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and it's, I hope, yeah. I hope it, there will be an emergent discourse and that word is, you know, it's got its connotations yeah. and it's yeah. problematic. Yeah. But yeah, I hope there is a, 
it, it, it showed that, you know, we can change. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. circumstances demand it. Yeah. Yes, it's very different from, you know, uh, sort of a slow process climate crisis. Uh, but yeah, it showed that we can change if we have to. Um, so hopefully some more of that will happen. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we will learn some of the lessons that, we, that, that are there to be learned from this. Oh, well, on that note, Greg, it's <laughs> yeah. been an hour and 15 minutes. Um, I've caught you at the end of a busy day of teaching. So um, thank you so no, much. It's been for fun. Your time. I, I, um, look, it's, it's been my pleasure as well. Uh, thank you for, you know, uh, setting this up and for listening as I go on and rant about it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, hey, thanks for talking with me. Yeah. No, my pleasure. But there ain't no money in this business yeah. So how long can I keep it doing this shit? Yeah. Like forever, that's how I'm feeling I'm feeling Yeah, yo, I got ambition Nah, but there ain't no money in this business Yeah, so how long can I keep it doing this shit? Yeah, left forever, that's how I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling